Hi, everybody. Carla here, and welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. I was thinking about that last segment where Mr. Collins and Elizabeth were having the discussion about marriage and how he told her basically that he expected her to say no and that that's just a thing a woman is expected to do, to say no to a proposal a second time and maybe even a third time before she accepts him. And it made me think of the Andy Griffith show. Are you familiar with that show? It's one of my favorite classic sitcoms. But in any case, there's an episode on the Andy Griffith show. It's called Briscoe Declares for Aunt B. Well, Briscoe is this mountain guy and he comes down out of the mountains every now and then to see Andy. Well, this particular time when he came down, he saw Aunt B and she fed him and he was just all excited because she was giving him, you know, what he thought was extra attention when she was just being courteous at the table to make sure he had enough to eat. Well, he decided he wanted to marry her. And then he proposed and she said, no, she said, absolutely no. And he said, well, you go right ahead and protest the way a woman is expected to, but I'll be back. And he basically told her that when he came back, she should have her bags packed because he was going to take her away. And she was so upset by this. But anyway, he actually did come back and carried her away. And Andy had to go and rescue her. So it's a really, really good episode. It's very funny too. But it reminded me very, very much of this conversation we just heard between Elizabeth and Mr. Collins. So, okay, I've said enough about that. And without further delay, I give you Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen, chapter 20. Mr. Collins was not left long to the silent contemplation of his successful love, for Mrs. Bennet, having dawdled about in the vestibule to watch for the end of the conference, no sooner saw Elizabeth open the door and with quick step pass her towards the staircase than she entered the breakfast room and congratulated both him and herself in warm terms on the happy prospect of their nearer connection. Mr. Collins received and returned these felicitations with equal pleasure and then proceeded to relate the particulars of their interview with the result of which he trusted he had every reason to be satisfied since the refusal which his cousin had steadfastly given him would naturally flow from her bashful modesty and the genuine delicacy of her character. This information, however, startled Mrs. Bennet. She would not she would have been glad to be equally satisfied that her daughter had meant to encourage him by protesting against his proposals, but she dared not believe it and could not help saying so. But depend upon it, Mr. Collins, she added, that Lizzie shall be brought to reason. I will speak to her about it directly. She is very head she is a very headstrong, foolish girl, and does not know her own interest, but I will make her know it. Pardon me for interrupting you, madam cried Mr. Collins, but if she is really headstrong and foolish, I know not whether she would altogether be a desirable wife to a man in my situation, who naturally looks for happiness in the marriage state. If therefore she actually persists in rejecting my suit, perhaps it were better not to force her into accepting me, because if liable to such defects of temper, she could not contribute much to my felicity. Sir, you quite misunderstand me said Mrs. Bennet, alarmed. Lizzie is, Lizzie is only headstrong in such matters as these. In everything else, she is as good-natured as a girl as ever lived. I will go directly to Mr. Bennet, and we shall very soon settle it with her, I am sure. She would not give him the time to reply, but hurrying instantly to her husband, called out as she entered the library, Oh, Mr. Bennet, you are wanted immediately. 
We are all in an uproar. You must come and make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins, for she vows she will not give him, for she vows she will not have him. And if you do not make haste, he will change his mind and not have her. Mr. Bennett raised his eyes from his book as she entered and fixed them on her face with a calm un unconcern, which was not in the least altered by her communication. I have not the pleasure of understanding you, said he, when she had finished her speech. Of what are you talking? Of Mr. Collins and Lizzie. Lizzie declares she will not have Mr. Collins, and Mr. Collins begins to say that he will not have Lizzie. And what am I to do on the occasion? It seems a, a hopeless business. Speak to Lizzie about it yourself. Tell her that you insist upon her marrying him. Let her be called down. She shall hear my opinion. Mrs. Bennet rang the bell, and Miss Elizabeth was summoned to the library. Come here, child, cried her father as she appeared. I have sent for you on an affair of importance. I understand that Mr. Collins has made you an offer of marriage. Is it true? Elizabeth replied that it was. Very well. And this offer of marriage you have refused? I have, sir. Very well. Now we come to the point. Your mother insists upon your accepting it. Is it not so, Mrs. Bennet? Yes, or I will never see her again. An unhappy alternative is before you, Elizabeth. From this day, you must be a stranger to one of your parents. Your mother will never see you again if you do not marry Mr. Collins, and I will never see you again if you do. Elizabeth could not but smile at such a conclusion of such a beginning, but Mrs. Bennet, who had persuaded herself that her husband regarded the affair as she wished, was excessively disappointed. What do you mean, Mr. Bennet, in talking this way? You promised me to insist upon her marrying him. My dear, replied her husband, I have two small favors to request. First, that you will allow me the free use of my understanding on the present occasion, and secondly, of my room. I shall be glad to have the library to myself as soon as may be. Not yet, however, in spite of her disappointment in her husband, did Mrs. Bennet give up the point. She talked to Elizabeth again and again, coaxed and threatened her by turns. She endeavored to secure Jane in her interest, but Jane, with all, possi with all possible mildness, declined interfering, and Elizabeth, sometimes with real earnestness and sometimes with playful gaiety, replied to her attacks. Though her manner varied, however, her determination never did. Mr. Collins, meanwhile, was meditating in solitude on what had passed. He thought too well of himself to comprehend on what motives his, his cousin could refuse him, and, and though his pride was hurt, he suffered in no other way. His regard for her was quite imaginary, and the possibility of her deserving her mother's reproach prevented his feeling any regret. While the family were in this confusion, Charlotte Lucas came to spend the day with them. She was met in the vestibule by Lydia, who, flying to her, cried in a half-whisper, I am glad you are come, for there is such fun here. What do you think has happened this morning? Mr. Collins has made an offer to Lizzie, and she will not have him. Charlotte hardly had time to answer before they were joined by Kitty, who came to tell the same news, and no sooner had they entered the breakfast room, where Mrs. Bennet was alone, than she likewise began on the subject, calling on Miss Lucas for her compassion and entreating her to persuade her friend Lizzie to comply with the wishes of all her family. Pray do, my dear Miss Lucas, she added in a melancholy tone, for nobody is on my side. Nobody takes part with me. 
I am cruelly used. Nobody feels for my poor nerves. Charlotte's reply was spared by the entrance of Jane and Elizabeth. Ay, there she comes, continued Mrs. Bennet, looking as unconcerned as may be and caring no more for us than if we were at York, provided she can have her own way. But I tell you, Miss Lizzie, if you take it into your head to go on refusing every offer of marriage in this way, you will never get a husband at all. And I am sure I do not know who is to maintain you when your father is dead. I shall not be able to keep you. And so I warn you, I have done with you from this very day. I told you in the library, you know, that I should never speak to you again, and you will find me as good as my word. I have no pleasure in, in talking to undutiful children. Not that I have much pleasure indeed in talking to anybody. People who suffer as I do from nervous complaints can have no great inclination for talking. Nobody can tell what I suffer, but it is always so. Those who do not complain are never pitied. Her daughters listened in silence to this effusion, sensible that any attempt to reason with her or soothe her would only increase the irritation. She talked on, therefore, without interruption from any of them, till they were joined by Mr. Collins, who entered the room with an air more stately than usual, and on perceiving an on perceiving whom, he said to the girls, now I do insist upon it that you, all of you, hold your tongues and let me and Mr. Collins have a little conversation together. Elizabeth passed quietly out of the room. Jane and Kitty followed, but Lydia stood her ground, determined to hear all she could, and Charlotte drained, determined to hear all she could, and Charlotte, detained first by the civility of Mr. Collins, whose inquiries after herself and all her family were very minute, and then by a little curiosity, satisfied herself with walking to the window and pretending not to hear. In a doleful voice, Mrs. Bennet began the projected conversation. Oh, Mr. Collins! My dear madam, replied he, let us be forever silent on this point. Far be it from me, he presently continued, in a voice that marked his displeasure, to resent the behavior of your daughter. Resignation to inevitable evils is the evil duty of us all. The peculiar duty of a young man who has been so fortunate as I have been in early preferment, and I trust I am resigned. Perhaps not the less so from feeling a doubt of my positive happiness had my fair cousin honored me with her hand, for I have often observed that resignation is never so perfect as when the blessing denied begins to lose somewhat of its value in our estimation. You will not, I hope, consider me as showing any disrespect to your family, my dear madam, by thus withdrawing my pretensions for your daughter's favor without having paid yourself and Mr. Bennet the compliment of requesting you to interpose your authority in my behalf. My conduct may, I fear, be objectionable in having accepted my dismission from your daughter's lips instead of your own, but we are all liable to error. I have certainly meant well through the whole affair. My object has been to secure an amiable companion for myself with due consideration for the advantage of all your family, and if my manner has been at all reprehensible, I here beg leave to apologize. Chapter 21 the discussion of Mr. Collins' offer was now nearly at an end, and Elizabeth had only to suffer from the uncomfortable feelings necessarily attending it, and occasionally from some peevish illusions of her mother. As for the gentleman himself, his feelings were chiefly expressed, not by embarrassment or dejection, or by trying to avoid her, but by stiff 
but by stiffness of manner and resentful silence. He scarcely ever spoke to her, and the, assid and the assiduous attentions which he had been so sensible of himself were transferred for the rest of the day to Miss Lucas, whose civility in listening to him was a seasonable relief to them all, and especially to her friend. The moral produced no abatement of Mrs. Bennet's ill humor or ill health. Mr. Collins was also in the same state of angry pride. Elizabeth had hoped that his, his resentment might shorten his visit, but his plan did not appear in the least affected by it. He was always, he was always to have gone on Saturday, and to Saturday he meant to stay. After breakfast, the girls walked to Meryton to inquire if Mr. Wickham were returned and to lament over his absence from the Netherfield Ball. He joined them on their entering the town and attended them to their aunts where his great were his regret and vexation, and the concern of everybody was well talked over. To Elizabeth, however, he voluntarily acknowledged that the necessity of his absence had been self-imposed. I found, said he, as the time drew near that I had better not meet Mr. Darcy, that to be in the same room, the same party with him for so many hours together might be more than I could bear, and that scenes might arise unpleasant to more than myself. She highly approved his forbearance, and they had leisure for a full discussion of it, and for all the commendation which they civilly bestowed on each other, as Wickham and another officer walked back with them to Longbourn, and during the walk he particularly attended her. He, his accompanying them was a double disadvantage. She felt all the compliment it offered to herself, and it was most acceptable as an occasion of introducing him to her father and mother." Soon after their return, a letter was delivered to Miss Bennet. It came from Netherfield. The envelope contained a sheet of elegant little hot-pressed paper well covered with a lady's fair flowing hand, and Elizabeth saw her sister's countenance change as she read it and saw her dwelling intently on some particular passages. Jane recollected soon herself and, putting the letter away, tried to join with her usual cheerfulness in the general conversation, but Elizabeth felt an anxiety on the subject which drew her off her attention even from Wickham, and no sooner had he and, and his companion taken leave than a glance from Jane invited her to follow her upstairs. When they had gained their own room, Jane, taking out the letter, said, this is from caroline bingley what it contains has surprised me a good deal the whole party have left netherfield by this time and are on their way to town and without any intention of coming back again you shall hear what she says she then read the first sentence aloud which comprised the information of their having just resolved to follow their brother to town directly and of their meaning to dine in gross and Grosvenor Street, where Mr. Hurst had a house. The next was in these words. I do not pretend to regret anything I shall leave in Herefordshire except your society, my dearest friend, but we will hope at some future period to enjoy many returns of that delightful intercourse we have known, and in the meanwhile may lessen the pain of separation by a very frequent and most unreserved correspondence. I depend on you for that. To these high-flown expressions, Elizabeth listened with all the incivility of distrust, and though the suddenness of their removal surprised her, she saw nothing in it really to lament. It was not to be supposed that their absence from Netherfield would prevent Mr. Bingley being there, and as to the loss of their society, she was persuaded that Jane must cease to regard it in the enjoyment of his. 
It is unlucky, said she, after a short pause, that you should not be able to see your friends before they leave the country. But may we not hope that the period of future happiness to which Miss Bingley looks forward may arrive earlier than she is aware, and that the delightful intercourse you have known as friends will be renewed with yet greater satisfaction as sisters? Mr. Bingley will not be detained in London by them. Caroline decidedly says that none of the party will return into Herefordshire this winter. I will read it to you. When my brother left us yesterday, he imagined that the business which took him to London might be concluded in three or four days, but as we are certain it cannot be so, and at the same time convinced that when Charles gets to town, he will be in no hurry to leave it again. We have determined on following him thither, that he may not be obliged to spend his vacant hours in a comfortless hotel. Many of my acquaintances are already there for the winter. I wish that I could hear that you, my dearest friend, had any intention of making one of the crowd, but of that I despair. I sincerely hope your Christmas in Herefordshire may abound in the gaieties which that season generally brings, and that your bow will be so nu and that your bow will be so numerous as to prevent your feeling the loss of the three of whom we shall deprive you. It is evident by this added Jane, that he comes back no more this winter. It is only evident that Miss Bingley does not mean that he should. Why will you think so? It must be his own doing. He is his own master. But you do not know all. I will read you the passage which particularly hurts me. I will have no reserves from you. Mr. Darcy is impatient to see his sister and to confess the truth. We are scarcely less eager to meet her again. I really do not think Georgina Darcy has her equal beauty, elegance, and accomplishments, and the affection she inspires in Louisa and myself is heightened into something still more interesting from the hope we dare entertain of her being hereafter our sister. I do not know whether I ever before mentioned to you my feelings on the subject, but I will not leave the country without confiding them, and I trust you will not esteem them unreasonable." my brother admires her greatly already he will have frequent opportunity now of seeing her on the most intimate footing her relations all wish the connection as much as his own and a sister's partiality is not misleading me i think when i call charles most capable of engaging any woman's heart with all these circumstances to favor an attachment and nothing to prevent it am i wrong my dearest jane in indulging the hope of an event which will secure the happiness of so many what do you think of this sentence my dear lizzie jane said as she finished it is it not clear enough does it not express does it not expressly declare that caroline neither expects nor wishes me to be her sister that she is perfectly convinced of her brother's indifference and that if she suspects the nature of my feelings for him she means most kindly to put me on my guard can there be any other opinion on the subject yes there can for mine is totally different will you hear it most willingly you shall have it in a few words miss bingley sees that her brother is in love with you and wants him to marry miss darcy she follows him to town in hope of keeping him there and tries to persuade you that he does not care about you jane shook her head indeed jane you ought to believe me no one who has ever seen you together can doubt his affection miss bingley i am sure cannot she is not such a simpleton could she have even could she have seen half as much love in Mr. Darcy for herself, she would have ordered her wedding clothes. 
but the case is this. We are not rich enough or grand enough for them, and she is the more anxious to get Miss Darcy for her brother, from the notion that when there has been one intermarriage, she may have less trouble in achieving a second, in which there is certainly some ingenuity, and I dare say it would succeed if Mr. Burrell were out of the way. But, my dearest Jane, you cannot seriously imagine that because Miss Bingley tells you her brother greatly admires Miss Darcy, he is the smallest degree less sensible of your merit than when he took leave of you on Tuesday, or that it will be in her power to persuade him that, instead of being in love with you, he is very much in love with her friend. If we thought alike of Miss Bingley, replied Jane, your representation of all this might make me quite easy, but I know the foundation is unjust. Caroline is incapable of willfully deceiving anyone, and all that I can hope in this case is that she is deceiving herself. That is right. You could not have stated a more happy idea, since you will not take comfort in mine. Believe her to be deceived by all means. You have now done your duty by her, and you must fret no longer. But, my dear sister, can I be happy even supposing the best in accepting a man whose sisters and friends all wishing him to marry elsewhere? You must decide for yourself, said Elizabeth. And if, upon mature deliberation, you find that the misery of disobliging his two sisters is more than equivalent to the happiness of being his wife, I advise you by all means to refuse him. How can you talk so? said Jane, faintly smiling. You must know that I should be exceedingly grieved at their disapprobation. I could not hesitate. I did not think you would, and that being the case, I cannot consider your situation with much compassion. But if he returns no more this winter, my choice will never be required. A thousand things may arise in six months. The idea of his returning no more Elizabeth treated with the utmost contempt. It appeared to her merely the suggestion of Caroline's interested wishes, and she could not for a moment suppose that those wishes, however openly or artfully spoken, could influence the young man so totally independent of everyone. She represented to her sister as forcibly as possible what she felt on the subject and had soon the pleasure of seeing its happy effect. Jane's temper was not desponding and she was gradually led to hope, though the difference of affection sometimes overcame the hope that Bingley would return to Netherfield and answer every wish of her heart. They agreed that Mrs. Bennet should only hear of the departure of the family without being alarmed on the score of the gentleman's conduct. But even this partial communication gave her a great deal of concern, and she bewailed it as exceedingly unlucky that the lady should happen to go away just as they were all getting so intimate together. After lamenting it, however, at some length, she had the consolation that Mr. Bingley would be soon down again and soon dining at Longbourn, and the conclusion of all was the comfortable declaration that though he had been invited only to a family dinner, she would take care to have two full courses. Chapter 22 the Bennets were engaged to dine with the Lucases, and again during the chief of the day was Miss Lucas so kind as to listen to Mr. Collins. Elizabeth took an opportunity of thanking her. It keeps him in good humor, she said, and I am more obliged to you than I can express. Charlotte assured her friend of her satisfaction in being useful, and that it amply repaid her for the little sacrifice of her time. This was very amiable, but Charlotte's kindness extended farther than Elizabeth had any conception of. 
Its object was nothing else than to secure from her from any return of Mr. Collins's addresses by engaging them towards herself. Such was Miss Lucas's scheme, and appearances were so favorable that when they parted at night, she would have felt almost secure of success if he had not been to leave Herefordshire so very soon. But here she did injustice to the fire and independence of his character, for it led him to escape out of Longbourn House the next morning with admirable slyness, and hastened to Lucas Lodge to throw himself at her feet. He was anxious to avoid the notice of his cousins, from a conviction that, if they saw him depart, they could not fail to conjecture his design, and he was not willing to have the attempt known till it till its success might be known likewise. For though feeling almost secure, and with reason, for Charlotte had been tolerably encouraging, he was comparatively diffident since the adventure of Wednesday. His reception, however, was of the most flattering kind. Miss Lucas perceived him from an upper window as he walked towards the house, and instantly set out to meet him accidentally in the lane. But little has she dared to hope that so much love and eloquence awaited her there. In as short a time as Mr. Collins's long speeches would allow, everything was settled between them to the satisfaction of both, and as they entered the house he earnestly entreated her to name the day that was to make him the happiest of men, and though such a solicitation must be waived for the present, the lady felt no, incl in felt no inclination to trifle with his happiness. The stupidity with which he was favored by nature must guard his courtship from any charm that could make a woman wish for its continuance, and Miss Lucas, who accepted him solely from the pure and disinterested desire of an establishment, cared not how soon that establishment were gained. Sir William and Lady Lucas were speedily applied to for their consent, and it was bestowed with the most joyous alacrity. Mr. Collins' present circumstances made it a most eligible match for their daughter, to whom they could give little fortune, and his prospects of future wealth were exceedingly fair." Lady Lucas began directly to calculate with more interest than the matter had ever excited before how many years longer Mr. Bennet was likely to live, and Sir William gave it as his decided opinion that whenever Mr. Collins should be in possession of the Longbourn estate, it would be highly expedient that both he and his wife should make their appearance at St. James's. The whole family, in short, were properly overjoyed on the occasion. The younger girls formed hopes of coming out a year or two sooner than they might otherwise have done, and the boys were relieved from their apprehension at Charlotte's dying an old maid. Charlotte herself was tolerably composed. She had gained her point and had time to consider of it. Her reflections were, in general, satisfactory. Mr. Collins, to be sure, was neither sensible nor agreeable. His society was irksome, and his attachment to her must be imaginary. But still, he would be her husband. Without thinking highly either of men or matrimony, marriage had always been her object. It was the only provision for well-educated young women of small fortune, and however uncertain of giving happiness, must be their pleasantest preservative from want." This preservative she had now obtained, and at the age of 27, without having ever been handsome, she felt all the good luck of it. The least agreeable circumstance in the business was the surprise it must occasion to Elizabeth Bennet, whose friendship she valued beyond that of any other person. Elizabeth would wonder, and probably would blame her, and though her resolution was not to be shaken, her feelings must be hurt by such a disapprobation. 
She resolved to give her the information herself and therefore charged Mr. Collins, when he returned to Longbourn to dinner, to drop no hint of what had passed before any of the family. A promise of secrecy was, of course, very dutifully given, but it could not be kept without difficulty for the curiosity excited by his long absence burst forth and such a very direct question on his return as required some ingenuity to evade and he was at the same time exercising great self-denial for he was longing to publish his prosperous love As he was to begin his journey too early on the morrow to see any of the family, the ceremony of leave-taking was performed with the ladies moved for the night. And Mrs. Bennet, with great politeness and cordiality, said how happy they should be to see him at Longbourn again, whenever his engagements might allow him to visit them. "'My dear madam,' he replied, "'this invitation is particularly gratifying "'because it is what I have been hoping to receive, "'and you may be very certain "'that I shall avail myself of it as soon as possible.' "'They were all astonished, "'and Mr. Bennet, who could by no means "'wish for so speedy a return, immediately said, "'But is there not danger of Lady Catherine's dis "'disapprobation here, my good sir? "'You had better neglect your relations "'than run the risk of offending your patroness.' "'My dear sir,' replied Mr. Collins, "'I am particularly obliged to you for this friendly caution, "'and you may depend upon my not taking so material a step "'without her ladyship's concurrence.' "'You cannot be too much upon your guard, "'risk anything rather than her displeasure, "'and if you find it likely to be raised by your coming to us again, "'which I should think exceedingly probable,' Stay quietly at home and be satisfied that we shall take no offense. Believe me, my dear sir, my gratitude is warmly excited by such affectionate attention, and depend upon it, you will speedily receive me from a letter of thanks for this and for every other mark of your regard during my stay in Hertfordshire. As for my fair cousins, though my absence may not be long enough to render it necessary, I shall now take the liberty of wishing them health and happiness, not expecting my cousin Elizabeth. With proper civilities, the ladies then withdrew, all of them equally surprised that he meditated a quick return. Mrs. Bennet wished to understand by it that he thought of paying his address to one of her younger girls, and Mary might have been prevailed on to accept him. She rated his abilities much higher than any of the others. There was a solidarity, there was a solidity in reflections which often struck her, and though by no means so clever as herself, she thought that if encouraged to read and improve himself by such an example as hers, he might become very agreeable, he might become a very agreeable companion. But on the following morning, every hope of this kind was done away. Miss Lucas called soon after breakfast, and in a private conference with Elizabeth related the event of the day before. The possibility of Mr. Collins fancying herself in love with her friend had once occurred to Elizabeth within the last day or two, but that Charlotte could encourage him seemed almost as far from possibility as she could encourage him herself, and her astonishment was consequently so great as to overcome at first the bounds of decorum, and she could not help crying out, "'Engaged to Mr. Collins? My dear Charlotte! Impossible!' The steady countenance which Miss Lucas had commanded in telling her story gave way to a momentary confusion here on receiving so direct a reproach, though as it was no more than she expected, she soon regained her composure and calmly replied, 
Why should you be surprised, my dear Eliza? Do you think it incredible that Mr. Collins should be able to procure any woman's good opinion because he was not so happy as to succeed with you? But Elizabeth had now recollected herself and making a strong effort for it, was able to assure with tolerable firmness that the prospect of their relationship was highly grateful to her and that she wished her all imaginable happiness. I see what you are feeling, replied Charlotte. You must be surprised, very much surprised, so lately as Mr. Collins was wishing to marry you. But when you had time to think it over, I hope you will be satisfied with what I have done. I am not romantic, you know, I never was. I ask only a comfortable home, and considering Mr. Collins's character, connection, and situation in life, I am convinced that my chance of happiness with him is as fair as most people can boast on entering the marriage state. Elizabeth quietly answered, undoubtedly, and after an awkward pause, they returned to the rest of the family. Charlotte did not stay much longer, and Elizabeth was then left to reflect on what she had heard. It was a long time before she became at all reconciled to the idea of so unsuitable a match. The strangeness of Mr. Collins making two offers of marriage within three days was nothing in comparison of his being now accepted. She had always felt that Charlotte's opinion of matrimony was not exactly like her own, but she had not supposed it to be possible that, when called into action, she would have sacrificed every better feeling to worldly advantage. Charlotte, the wife of Mr. Collins, was a most humiliating picture, and to the pain of a friend disgracing herself and sunk in her esteem was added the distressing conviction that it was impossible for that friend to be tolerably, tolerably happy in the lot she had chosen. And that brings us to the end of chapter 22 of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. Again, I ask you to pardon my flubs. I seem to be making quite a few of those lately, but in any case, I do hope you were able to enjoy the story uh, despite those. And um, if you would like to, please um, look up that episode of the Andy Griffith show called uh, Briscoe declares for Aunt B and uh, leave a message in the Q&A section of the episode to tell me what you think. In any case, thanks again for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. I get so nervous still making these recordings, even though it's just me and a microphone here. Very nervous. But anyway, thank you again for listening. Until next time.